0: Hey, Polo. So you're in North Carolina?
1: I am in North Carolina for, for the summer, spending some time here at the beach. And, you know, it's a, such a beautiful place. I, I came last year and uh, had to come back this year because it really is truly a relaxing reprieve from all the craziness in Washington, D.C., where I'm based.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah, just to get away, especially here as we wrap down summer. So I thought maybe you're in North Carolina to work on Medicaid. That's not the case. <laughs>
1: No, but I do love working on Medicaid issues, but not not this time, maybe maybe in the next couple of months. So I'll think about coming to, to help with North Carolina and Medicaid issues.
0: Well, I appreciate you, even though you're on vacation, actually talking about Medicaid, and that's what this episode's all about. And this is, uh, we're talking with Paulo Pontemeyer, He's Director of Government Relations for the Catholic Health Association. Paulo, thanks for being with us. Are you ready to go?
1: Yes, uh, I'm, I'm ready. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, let's do it. And welcome to Health Calls. This is the podcast of the Catholic Health Association of the United States. I'm your host, Brian Reardon. And with me, as I just mentioned, is Paulo Panamera. He is Director of Government Relations at CHA. And Paulo is joining us to talk about Medicaid. In a few minutes, we're going to be joined by another guest, Corey Serber from St. Alphonsus Health System. We'll introduce her formally here in a few minutes. But, uh, Paulo, uh, having you break away from your vacation, stepping away from the beach for a few minutes, really to talk about an issue that's really important to CHA and our members, and that is Medicaid policy. So, Paula, my first question to you is can you just give us an overview of what are our priorities for Medicaid?
1: Yeah, I think, um, again, Medicaid and CHA, I feel, are both intertwined really since uh, Medicaid was uh, created many decades ago. CHA has continuously pushed for making Medicaid. Uh, you know, a program that that really does its uh, full scope of, you know, of the full scope of its job, which is to cover the the most poor and the most vulnerable in our society. And so CHA, again, you know, has really prioritized Medicaid uh, through our Medicaid makes it possible campaign, which has been a couple of years now. But especially this year, we have really been, um, you know, very focused on how we can continue to improve Medicaid to, to make it whole for everyone in this country to to really get it at its full promise of you know care for uh, the full spectrum of life from birth to old age and uh, this year in particular three pieces of of medicaid policy that we've zeroed in on are one thinking about how to help beneficiaries remain um to remain with their coverage with the end of the public health emergency as part of the continuous coverage provisions two Uh, thinking about how Medicaid can be extended to one year postpartum. uh, Right now, it really is only up until 60 days. And our third piece, this is really aspirational, but something that we truly are very committed to being the first hospital association to to really push this is something called uh, closing the Medicaid coverage gap. And this is where uh, people in 12 states have not been able to avail themselves of Medicaid's full promise because of state decisions that, um, you know, uh, sadly disenfranchise many of the poorest in in their in their states. And so those are our three big priority uh, policy areas in Medicaid. And we have been doing our best, uh, really seeing whatever opportunity comes along, whether it be a year end spending bill, a budget reconciliation bill, or even standalone bills. We, we really have been very, very active in these three Medicaid issues.
0: Yeah, we're going to break all three of them apart. I think in the next uh, segment of this episode, we're going to talk more about the gap, the Medicaid gap that you just talked about in the 12 states. Let's zero in on one aspect, and that is Medicaid reter- redetermination. So that's a mouthful. Um, let's uh, to start with kind of explain what that is. I think most people uh, listen, even people who cover public policy um May not if they were, you know, in an elevator with somebody ex- could explain it in thirty seconds. So, can you give us your elevator overview speech of what Medicaid redetermination is all about and why is it, why is it important right now?
1: Sure, I know saying the word Medicaid redetermination actually might even take more than thirty <laughs> seconds, but right. this is this is something very important to, to us as Catholic healthcare. I think you know um, as this pandemic continues with COVID nineteen still being out in the community, the federal government declared a public health emergency. And as part of this public health emergency, there are certain things that uh, states, hospitals, um, Medicaid agencies must do. Um, coupled with this is Congress passing a bill called the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Some of these provisions of this, this bill require that states must provide continuous coverage for Medicaid enrollees until the end of of the month in which the public health emergency ends. So very technical language um just because uh again, you know, these are these are programs that cover millions of lives and so Congress working with the administration.
0: Any sense of how many people are actually affected by that right now that are benefiting from the public health emergency?
1: Sure, right now um based on the most recent numbers uh, released by HHS, I believe there are 90 million um, people on Medicaid, so it's the largest health insurer currently. Wow! And with the public health emergency ending, um, or planning to end, depending on what the Department of Health and Human Services decides to do, there there are moments where uh, you know millions of people have to have all their coverage redetermined, and that's I think the the challenge of of the moment. And we are so grateful that all of our members across all fifty states, and um, you know, are are working hand in hand with their governments with their local agencies to to really just, to really put together a plan to make sure that millions of beneficiaries do not lose their coverage after the end of the public health emergency. So
0: essentially it's it's like they've got to re-sign up. Yes. Um, so you you've got Medicaid coverage now it's been extended because of the pandemic legislation. But once that public health emergency ends and I think the latest date is sometime in October is that correct?
1: Yeah, I think that there's there's rumblings that it might go into October. Uh the federal government has essentially said that they will give states uh about 60 days notice of when they'd they'd end it. I think um, you know, we were all anticipating on August 15, which is really the last time the public health emergency, um, you know, the timing of it would have happened. We they it, um the agencies didn't say anything. So we're Got it. we're free to assume that this will go beyond October. Um, but we're we're hoping that uh they they continue to give us as much lead time. That was one of the big things that the Catholic Health Association, along with a lot of national organization, asked, asked for, which is give us as much lead time to, to make sure that we can continue to work with everyone who walks in our doors and the communities we serve so, um, and give them an ample time to, to prepare for this.
0: And so when when the public health emergency ends, and again, we, we should have a kind of a 60-day heads up saying, hey, this is going to end on such a date. Mm-hmm. States then are really going to have to kick it into gear to notify all of those Medicaid recipients who are covered to say, listen, you've got to essentially fill out some paperwork, right, so that they don't get kicked off the Medicaid rolls?
1: Yes, just to do, um, you know, is your address um the same place Is your has your income changed have you are you, are you eligible for other programs um because you know Medicaid is a program that is tied uh, is me uh, is tied to income um you know family size and you know people's um you know ability to actually get coverage either through their employers or through the ACE, uh, affordable care act exchanges and so uh, a lot of a lot of different different uh you know um, interactions with with how these, you know, some people's experiences may have changed in two years um, and some may have, you know, gone to a place where they still need their Medicaid coverage. And so we just want to make sure that no paperwork errors or clerical errors are the reason that someone loses their Medicaid coverage.
0: Yeah. And that's what we want to bring in uh, Corey Serber. Corey, again, is Director of State Advocacy at St. Alphonsus Health System. Uh, Corey, thanks for joining us. You're calling in from Boise, Idaho.
2: Yes, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, so Corey, no, thanks for being with us. So you you heard uh, Paul and I kind of set the stage, kind to of talk about what Medicaid redetermination is. I'm interested in in getting your perspective again from someone who's working at the local level and in the state of Idaho. How big of an issue is this, first of all, for your system, and and how aware of are your colleagues about this? You know, it, as you interact with your patients who rely on Medicaid for coverage. Um, I guess give us kind of a lay of the land there and how you're seeing this issue and what you're doing to prepare for it.
2: Sure. Um, So I I cover advocacy for the Idaho, Oregon region for um, Trinity Health and St. Alphonsus Health System is our regional health system that has four hospitals in the Idaho and Oregon footprint. And I, I sort of joke sometimes that I have uh, two states that almost couldn't be any further apart politically <laughs> um, and have very different approaches to Medicaid redetermination. Um, in the state of Idaho, it is a you know smaller population. We've got about 420,000 enrollees in Medicaid and the current estimates are that there's about 131,000 of that group that uh, will need redetermination. So in the state of Idaho, they have not stopped reaching out to Medicaid enrollees during the public health emergency to try to keep information updated. It's just that because of the continuous coverage provision, um, if they didn't respond or the information indicated that maybe they're not eligible anymore, um, they were you know, kept on Medicaid because of that provision. In Oregon, there's uh, 1.4 million on Medicaid and about 300,000 in that redetermination population. Uh, the interesting dynamic in Oregon is that their legislature Um, has been very progressive in in uh, discussing the development of a bridge plan to kind of serve as a as a catch net for those who, you know, may lose coverage as a result of their redetermination. Um, You know, there there, of course, will be like in in the state of Idaho, there will be efforts to connect folks that aren't eligible for Medicaid anymore to the exchange. Um, and to those affordability subsidies. Um, but in Oregon, there will be the additional safety net of a bridge plan that they're still sort of defining uh, the parameters around, but um, there there should be less uh, loss of coverage in the state of Oregon because of that.
0: Interesting, because of the way the, the state regulations are set up. And does either state have uh, presumed eligibility or anything? So in other words, if somebody comes into your emergency room doesn't have any coverage. Um, is there a way for your colleagues to determine, yeah, that, that their income is such that they can be automatically enrolled in Medicaid? I believe that's that it's happening in some places. And I, don't, I didn't know if that was a factor in, in this effort to make sure people stay covered or get coverage.
2: I, I think there is some uh, amount of that presumed eligibility. And of course, we've had tremendous coverage gains under Medicaid expansion and and in the state of Idaho, that's only been in place since uh, the beginning of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. Um, And so we have a whole lot less uninsured folks um, now than we did um, pre-pandemic. But I think our concern is that those who lose coverage um, we won't have some of those, some of that ability to um, get get folks, um, you know, yep. qualified um, for Medicaid if they if they no longer meet that eligibility and they haven't enrolled in an exchange plan. Uh, we don't have an additional safety net in the state of Idaho, and so our efforts are to work very closely with the Department of Health and Welfare. To um, try to ensure that the messaging is clear, that the attempts to reach uh, Medicaid enrollees are through a variety of channels, including mail and text and phone, you know, however they can possibly reach folks. We are concerned about just with our housing market being so challenging in Idaho that some of these folks might just be more difficult to get a hold of because they have moved. Um, during the pandemic. And so um, our preliminary efforts are, you know, make sure that we get folks to update their contact information.
0: No, and I'm glad you mentioned other methods than direct mail because we know we all get a lot of mail and a lot of it just you glance at it and it goes in the recycling bin. Um, so tell me a little more, if you would, about some of the you know the text efforts, text messaging, I would imagine social media maybe. Can you give examples of some of the more uh, what you may see as effective communication to folks who might be affected?
2: Yes. Yeah, so uh, we're fortunate here in the state of Idaho to have a, a pretty tight coalition of partner organizations who worked together you know clear back in the in the medicaid expansion push um we were all advocating together for medicaid expansion passage once um it passed by ballot initiative and and was implemented we pivoted the purpose of that coalition more towards kids coverage and uh, part of that effort currently is medicaid redetermination and and ensuring that we um, keep people covered um, and especially children. So we have developed a draft um, toolkit at this point that includes you know, different um, avenues for communication and um, attempts to make sure that all of us who are partner organizations and have different avenues to communicate with our patients and the public at large Um, we're on the same message, we're getting the most current information across. And so we're preparing that, you know, as as Paolo mentioned, we we have some more time uh, with the public health emergency likely uh, potentially lasting through the end of the year. Um, We are just refining those so that, you know, we can start with our phase one, which is pushing out through our patient communications and our social media, and even working with media partners to do some actual, you know, media stories in the mainstream media about this redetermination happening. We we did have some uh, media coverage recently that was helpful in sort of teeing up the information, um, and we can be following up on that with more concrete um you know what to do if you are currently on medicaid just to ensure that you know you don't get uh, that you don't fall through the cracks
0: that's great so my last question uh corey would be advice you would give to your colleagues uh across catholic healthcare or across healthcare in the u.s in steps it sounds to me collaboration is huge Um, and really just being very deliberate and thoughtful about how to make sure communication to these individuals will be affected uh, is delivered and received?
2: Yeah, I I think it's, you know, two avenues are critical. Um, One is uh, making sure that you are collaborating with other um, like-minded organizations, other healthcare providers, nonprofits in the community, advocacy organizations, Um, to kind of make sure that it's a broad, broad uh, push geographically and across different populations in a community. And secondly, that you are in, um, you know, frequent communication with your state agencies, your Department of Health and Welfare, whatever your um, agency is that oversees Medicaid. Um, What we have done in Idaho, you know, in Idaho, there hasn't, uh, you know, been a, you know, much friendliness really politically towards Medicaid. And so um, the Department of Health and Welfare really doesn't do a whole lot of advertising for, um, you know, folks to come on and enroll in Medicaid. That often happens through us. Uh, Member uh, member organizations of these of these coalitions, and so I think both are vitally important and we as um, faith based organizations and other mission based organizations um, can be augmenting and maybe you know, stepping into some of the roles that our state agencies might not be able to do um, in augmenting their messaging.
0: That's great. Now, really great perspective. Thanks so much. Paul, I want to bring you in now just for a final comment. Um, anything that Corey said or shared with us that you want to underscore or highlight?
1: No, I think Corey covered a lot of what, um, you know, they're doing really, really excellent work in the field. Um, but I'd like to alert our, our, our listeners to some resources that we have corey was actually a panelist on a webinar we did this last may um really great uh tools um and you know strategies that she shared with with you know um with many of the participants and so i'd like to to re re re-advertise that for for everyone because i think a lot of that information we had thought that the public health emergency was going to end in june uh thankfully as corey mentioned we still have additional time so wanted to push that out and second i think one of the things that Corey mentioned that is really important is, is this ability to partner with other organizations and coalitions, because I believe this is one of the things that we have never really found an opponent for. I mean, there is no one essentially saying you should not you know, double check your address. I think everyone in the health advocacy community and also a lot of the beneficiary um, um, you know, advocacy co- organizations have really been pushing this and everyone's on the same page. And thankfully, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services have also released several uh, different toolkits that, um, you know, any entity can access for free on their website um, because they also think that this is something that they can also assist uh, different states and local organizations to to move forward. They've been doing monthly calls uh, just to talk about some of the, uh, um, you know, technical aspects of, of Medicaid redeterminations, what it is and what you can do. As well as uh, linking us with several uh, resources and opportunities to uh, help transition um, beneficiaries to different sources of coverage, um, and doing that early so that once the public health emergency ends, uh, you know they did as much legwork uh, um, early on so that it isn't going to be this um, you know 15 million uh, people uh, 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 crisis so that nope. some studies have shown that would lose Medicaid coverage. Um, and within that 15 million, I think uh, Corey says, said it best that children and young adults will be impacted disproportionately, and we want to make sure that you know we continue to take care of those who do not have the ability to you know fill out these forms. You know, yep. as as much as I believe that children can do a lot, I don't think that you know some of these forms might be might be too challenging for them. So we want to make sure we connect them to as many opportunities to. Maintain
0: their coverage Great, Paula, no, thanks for that And um, the resource that you mentioned uh, For those listening can be found on our website On the podcast page It's uh, chausa.org Slash podcast And next to this episode or below the episode description We'll have links to that that webinar recording And some other Medicaid resources uh, Paulo, you and I Are going to talk again in, in part two of this episode On some other Medicaid issues But for now let's uh, thank Corey Serber Corey, Director of State Advocacy At St. Alfonso Health System, which is part of Trinity. Thanks for being with us. Really appreciate your perspective and time.
2: Thank you so much. I enjoyed uh, joining you today.
0: Paula Pennemeyer, Director of Government Relations at the Catholic Health Association. Thanks for being part of this conversation. I'm Brian Reardon, your host, and this has been another episode of Health Calls, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association of the United States. This episode was produced by Josh Matica. Our studio producer was Jen Like. And our studio engineer was Brian Hartman here at Clayton Studios in St. Louis, Missouri. You can listen to health calls anywhere podcasts are available. Thanks for listening.